Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people that are out there making it happen. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Paige Williams. And Dr. Paige Williams is an amazing thought leader who's, I guess, the brains behind a concept called anti-fragile leadership. Uh, She just published a book in anti-fragile. She's done all her PhD in that area and she often talks about her life experiences and her education is and her work experiences all brought together to create this whole model. Uh, she's a speaker, as I said, an author. She's been in leadership positions all around the world for the last 20 years. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Paige Williams. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs and business people that are out there making it happen. And today we have a very special guest, Dr. Paige Williams, who's an incredible thought leader and really a founder behind a concept called anti-fragile leadership. And we uh, were recently connected and had a really amazing conversation around this topic, and I'm really excited to explore this a little bit more deeper level. She's a speaker, author, been working in leadership positions, managing directors uh, for 20 years all around the world. So she's extremely well-traveled, extremely well-experienced, and I really enjoy hearing a lot more about this whole anti-fragile concept. So welcome to the show, Dr. Paige Williams. Thank you so much, Craig. It's great to be with you today. Good. And I, look, I always like to really find out a bit more of the backstory. I um, do an intro, but I, I don't often do it justice. I provide that macro level. I'd really like to you to expand out on that. Yeah, sure. So um, I don't know, maybe your listeners have picked up, but I'm not originally from Australia. I'm originally from the UK. So I spent the first 30 years of my life there. Um, and my, my experience there in, in, in terms of work was predominantly in the leisure sector. So I was a, a general manager and a senior um, executive in, in hotels and in gyms and in just kind of the leisure sector generally, um, both in the UK and Europe. Um, so we had a great discussion, uh, Craig, about where we traveled in Europe. And part of my experience was managing hotels. And I spent um, a great deal of time in the European Alps in the, in the ski seasons and then on the Mediterranean coast um, in the summer. Um, And that's where I I really kind of won my spurs in terms of business operations and managing and leading people. Um, And it was a a really steep learning curve with some very immediate feedback (laughs) is the nice way of me putting it. So um, I learned fast (laughs) and I learned well um, and I learned forward. And and that's one of the things as we come to talk about anti-fragile that I really feel has helped me in terms of understanding how best to lead myself and how I can help others do that, but also how I can help lead others as well. So then in about two, early 2000s, 2002, came to Australia. Um, at that time, I was married. My husband was Australian. Um, and really, we came here to have a family. Um, and then my, my career took a different trajectory. And I started working at Geelong Grammar School in a communications role that evolved then into being part of the team that brought in positive psychology, which is the science of well-being. Um, it asks the question, what makes life worth living? 
what helps fill us with joy and meaning and purpose and helps us connect with others um, in a meaningful way. And I was, we were one of the first organizations in Australia to bring in positive psychology. Um, and I looked at that through an organizational and leadership lens. Um, and that's where I did my PhD research. So my PhD research is around creating systems of thriving and well-being um, with leadership as the most potent leverage point to do that. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned from there, I've kind of evolved into my own thought leadership practice and most recently my work in anti-fragile and anti-fragile leadership specifically. Mm, very diverse. And yeah, we, I think after our phone call, we were talking for maybe 10, 20 minutes of all the different places we've been to and experiences. So we will ask a question about that deeper into the show. But I do want to talk a little bit about the anti-fragile concept to kick off. Just so a listener that's um, tuning in, what what is anti-fragile and do you want to expand on your research and your book, et cetera, about that? Yeah, I'd love to, Craig. So um, first of all, I want to say that anti-fragile was um, a concept that was developed by an author called Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And Taleb is primarily an economist. Um, and he, he wrote a book about eight years ago now called Anti-Fragile. Um, and it was about looking at what does it mean for economic and political systems to actually improve through disruption and uncertainty. Now, Taleb has a particular style of writing. You, you kind of either really get into it or not so much. And he's, he's an interesting character because he kind of throws stones at the establishment. So great idea, um, but very much something that was kind of at a very high level um, and through this political and economic lens. So I came first across the word anti-fragile in Mark Manson's book about hope. And in that book, Manson puts forward this idea that every choice we make takes us towards being either fragile or anti-fragile. And that really kind of lit me up and I was, you know, what does that mean? I was curious about this. So when something is fragile, you'd know, Craig, you, I'm sure you felt this, I know I have, I'm sure your listeners have as well. When we're feeling fragile, uh, we feel like we, we can't cope with what's being asked of us. So we feel like that precious vase or that pane of glass that actually could smash or shatter if there's too much pressure or if we're kind of handled too strongly. Um, and sometimes, let's face it, in fact, most of this year, life has handled us pretty strongly. So if we're fragile, we don't feel able to deal with what life is throwing at us. When we're robust or resilient, perhaps, I'm gonna deal with those two things separately, but when we're robust, we're able to withstand what's being asked of us. So it's not that we're going to break or shatter, we're able to kind of absorb uh, the challenges or the pressures or the stress. But when we're anti-fragile, we actually move beyond robustness and we actually improve through the disruption or the uncertainty or the challenge or the change that's going on in our lives and in our context. So it moves us beyond resilience, this idea of resilience of just bouncing back Anti-fragile moves us beyond that so that actually we improve through these experiences um, rather than just bounce back to where we were. So that really is the essence of anti-fragile. There's more upside than there is downside through uncertainty, challenge and disruption. Mm. And I, I can certainly relate to that whole concept um, because I always used to say that 
my the way I dealt with business, um, even you know I, I write in my own book about you know the the remarks people would say I'm like the Tin Man, the man without a heart in Wizard of Oz. You know I do, I deal with. Um, challenges and adversities myself and I would be able to just unbreakably be able to break through them and then having uh, losing Ethan as a stillborn baby I, always, I say I become very vulnerable in a way but I become a different person um, but where I'm going with this part of the conversation is I was recently in a mastermind and we we're talking about the current uncertainties out there and the challenges that people have been through. And I said, you know, this is inconvenient to me, but it doesn't make my top five biggest challenges in my life type of thing. But it's amazing how um, when you know how to bounce back or, or break through that challenge, you become, you know, more resilient, more anti-fragile. So I really do relate to what you're saying from a personal experience. Absolutely. And I think that's for me why when I came across the term anti-fragile and then did some research into it, for me, this was the first time that I felt that I'd come across some an idea that um, that spanned both my personal lived experience and my academic research and my ex professional experience as a leader. And here was something that I felt spanned all of those um, areas of my life. So I feel I've lived anti-fragile in a similar way. You know, I have stories around how I've come through things, felt the pain at the time. So I think it's important that we acknowledge being anti-fragile doesn't mean that you don't suffer. It doesn't mean you don't feel impacted by what's going on. So it isn't that you are unbreakable. You certainly experience the, the struggle that may be involved. But as you're experiencing that, you're able to... Um, at the same time, see that there is learning and growth going on for you in the struggle and that you will somehow come out of this in some way better than you went into it. Um, and at times that can be super hard if you're sitting in the struggle. And it's certainly not about denying that because it's really important. One of the things that can make us fragile is if we start trying to squash emotions, right? Because we only have kind of one system, one um, uh, circuitry, if you like. And if we start restricting that by denying those emotions that are uncomfortable for us, then we start restricting the channel for all emotions. And that's not, that's not healthy for us. It doesn't help us perform well. It doesn't help us feel well. It doesn't help us lead well as leaders. Mm -hmm. So it's not about denying the emotion, but it is about being able to move to constructive and effective action, even as you are experiencing that struggle. And really that's where the anti-fragile edge comes in, is that it's a mindset around, I know that this is uncomfortable for me right now, but that doesn't mean I'm gonna be floored by it. I may have to pause and kind of draw breath, but then I am going to be able to move forward in a constructive and effective way. And that's how building out these anti-fragile anti energy, attitudes and mindset, which is one of the things I talk about in the book, helps us be able to move through that process more quickly, more effectively, and actually get momentum again in terms of moving forward. Mm. And just to bring some practicality to the conversation, um, obviously it's going to be a little bit more than maybe a two or three minute answer, but and we'll lead people to your book and research, etc., your surveys at the end. But in today's um, you know, unprecedented scenario, there's a lot of people that are 
put in a circumstance that they've never been before and they are, um, you know, they are in struggle and they are, you know, mentally challenged and, um, you know, it might be their biggest adversity they've faced to date. Is there any one or two things that you can say can be really helpful for somebody that may be feeling quite fragile right now? Yeah, sure. So, so I think that the, the first thing is, is to accept and give yourself permission that that is okay. Like, what we are experiencing right now, and you know, as, as you said, Craig, it may not be the most, the deepest struggle that we've had in our lives, but this is kind of chronic. It's been going on for a while now, and it's impacting lots of different areas of our life. So it's kind of that chronic struggle. And certainly in Victoria, where I'm based, you know, it's feeling like we, we almost had it nailed and now it's been pulled away from us again. And, you know, different areas of Australia and around the world, we're at different places and spaces with that. So I think the first thing is to understand the way our brains work is that when we are experiencing a threat like this, it makes us want to just think about ourselves because we go into kind of survival mode, right? Now, actually accepting that that's where we're at, and again, as I said, not trying to squash that, and being, uh, and being okay with not being okay is an important part of, of just accepting that we're, we're in this and it's rubbish, okay? <laughs> so let's not try and put a happy face on it. The other thing that I found has been really effective is to, to start thinking about what can you control, what can't you control, and what can you influence? Um, and lots of leader, leadership groups and individuals that I've coached throughout this year, this, this kind of circles of control activity and exercise can be super helpful in terms of letting go of those things that you can't control. Because otherwise they can just be a black pit for your energy and your attention and it can really deplete because you start moving into this what if, what if, what if. And you can't actually answer the what if because you're not in control of those things. Mm. So you can see that could just be an ongoing hamster wheel for your, for your mind. If you can identify what you can control and, and also what you can influence, then that's where focusing your attention and your energy is going to move you towards constructive action. Mm. So for example, in, in my world, I have two daughters. I have a 12 year old and a 15 year old. So year seven and year 10. And in Victoria, we were put back into stage three restrictions. So we're all homeschooling and I work from home as well. And so I can't control that they have to be at home from, for school. So I could be mad, sad, feel bad about it, feel frustrated. But if I do that, it's going nowhere. It's not actually helping our situation. Yeah. Now we've got three sets of people trying to do their own kind of online work world in the same environment in open plan living. That's pretty tricky, right? Because you get quite a lot of noise transfer. So what can I control? I can control how can we create space so that we can independently do what we need to do, but still be connected and, and be able to support each other at times when we're not in work. Okay. So, you know, I've had to hand over my bedroom to my eldest daughter for her study. I'm in the study. My other daughter is in um, a separate room because I don't want them studying in their bedrooms. So, you know, by not focusing on just going, I wish they didn't have to do this, by actually thinking about, well, what can I control and what can I influence in terms of us being respectful of each other's workspace and time? 
those are the things then that make it move me towards constructive action rather than keeping me in this wheel of just going if only if only if only does that make sense yeah it totally does and I, you know i guess similar to me like um i reached out to you last week we we're going to do this a week ago and i said um you know we've now you know uh the facilities where my kids would be going to i won't be able to and obviously need a, a reasonably quiet place to be able to do this so i said let's just see how the dust settles over a week or so and you just have to do what you have to do and you know but there are some really you know more major you know like if you had a gym for example or fitness class club and you're not allowed to open and it's dragging on eight months you know the I guess there's all sorts of different levels to challenge as well in this current situation I agree and one of the things that um, we talk about with anti-fragile is optionality now um, what what we what that means is and this comes directly so in in transferring the idea of anti-fragile from kind of um, economics and political systems into a system of one of, of you of the leader um, how is it that we can transfer them across and make them make sense so one of the things that we talk about is is optionality so how is it we can understand what options we have available to us so that as things in the environment change and and, and uncertainty comes into play and we know that that's going to happen right because the, the the road of path that the path of our lives is never just straight and narrow it's always lumpy bumpy and it's got twists and turns in it so as we as we accept that as we accept that there's mess and magic in the in the natural flow of life how is it we can have a kind of options available to us that mean that when we we're hit with a u-turn or when we're something happens that's a lump or a bump in the in the road we have got other options available to us now look no one could no well there's debate over whether we saw the pandemic coming, right? And so it, it, it feels like we've been on catch up in terms of trying to understand what those other options might be. But when we think about it, Craig, we're in a much stronger position in August than we were in February, right? Because we've had six months experience of living with COVID and understanding what the restrictions are. And although, yes, they're still, we're still moving in and out of them, and I get that the mental depletion is there in terms of a you know, just kind of getting um, tired of this and a, and a fatigue fit, uh, settling in. In terms of our, maybe our business models or our operating rhythms, whether that's at home or at work, perhaps there's learning we can take from the last six months by, and there are three questions that I, I use often, which is what went well? So as we went back into lockdown this time, I kind of thought, okay, well, what, what worked well last time that I can learn forward, that I can bring forward? Where did we struggle? And this noise pollution thing in the house, that was a struggle point for us last time. So I knew that we had to nail it this time. And so what have, what have we learned? And so, you know, being able to have these independent spaces at home that were kind of soundproof, sound bubbles, that was what I learned we needed to put in place. And it's certainly going a lot more smoothly this time. Now, is it perfect? No, we know it isn't. But asking those three questions, what went well? Where did we struggle? What do we learn? can help us bring our experience from six months of living with COVID and working with COVID forward into our current experience. And I think going through those learning cycles, those learning loops is a really powerful way for us not to feel like we're just kind of helpless and hopeless in the face of things.
Mm, yeah, and look, for businesses that are, are in that distress stage at the moment where their physical businesses and shut down, like I'll use gyms because I spent 12 years in that industry, some fitness clubs it might have pushed them, you know, they may have been not interested in exploring say an online model um, and now they have to and that you know if the smart you know visionary entrepreneurial type of people may go okay let me productize the content that we've been creating these online programs let's have that as maybe a, a new membership model maybe that that might be a way to innovate and and adopt some new world's best practice it may be that you can have a more, a more scalable business and have your normal when you get back to normal or then whatever that looks like but then you have this lower tier for people and that then all of a sudden you open doors to people that are not in your, su your suburb for example or it may be the circuit breaker that says you know what I'm just I'm ready for change and it just might be the thing that makes you move on to do something else similar in the workforce I see it you know you might be just happy and that in your job it might increase the performance of everyone because of hey if I don't perform I lose my job so you know there are ways to look at that as well absolutely I think what you're highlighting beautifully there Craig is this idea of what does better look like if we come out of this better and that's the essence of anti-fragile how is it that we can learn forward and actually improve and, and get better in some way from the disruption challenge and change. What better looks like is, is you know, it's for you to decide. So as you say, for some businesses, I, I'm an, I do F45, right? And so for the past six months, we had a period where it was at home, we had some time back in the box and now we're at home again. But what they're offering this time in terms of their at-home service is levels and levels above what their reactive response was to shut down, uh, to lockdown 1.0. So they've really lifted their game and they are a whole different league in terms of their online offering. Um, but as you say, for some, it may be that, you know what, I, I can see that this is the way things are going to go now and that's not the game I want to play. So I need to find a better game or a game that's more suited to me. So that might not feel better right now. And so one of the other things about becoming anti-fragile is, is taking this longer term perspective on things. So it's not just looking for a short term in, uh, return on investment, although I understand that we have to pay bills, but sometimes in terms of thinking about, okay, what does better look like? It might not look better here and now, but in the, in the longer term, am I working towards something that will be better? Um, and because then we're not kind of being reactive and just making very short-term decisions, um, that's what can help make us and help us become anti-fragile. Mm, yeah, and just even my own vision of 2020 when I get come into the first year, I had a vision to do a, one podcast interview a week. I you know wanted to be 10 weeks in advance to keep the content consistent. I wanted to launch my book. Instead, I'm interviewing five people a week. I'm just about to start another book. I've just created an online um, course that goes coincides with my book, um, and I productize my business. And you know that was just like, well, I can't travel because business for me is 20 weeks a year traveling around the world. How do I fill those 20 weeks and be productive? And you know the 
if this is the way it looks longer term, I need other, you know, some options in there as well, which, you know, I, that's, you know, just, I guess, thinking outside the square and then taking action on ideas is sometimes, you know, when they weren't planned, that's for sure. And, you know, one of the things that, that the, the COVID scenario has done um, is, is um, break the system, break the way that we were doing things, right? And, and sometimes it's when something breaks or cracks that it's in those cracks that there is real opportunity to take a different perspective, to look at things differently. And I was involved in some um, research with families in, in, as we came out of the first lockdown to ask them, well, we were in the final stages of it, asking them, you know, what's your experience like? Are you struggling in this? Where, where is the struggle? Is there any benefit? You know, what do you want to hold on to coming out of this? Because I think we had a date to come out. And whilst many families said, you know what, this has been really hard. Homeschooling is hard. Right? And we're like, yeah, we hear you. Mm -hmm. um, but this quality of family time, the, the amount, the quantity of family time. So alongside this struggle, alongside the, you know, whoa, we're all over each other was also, I, I feel more connected with my child's schooling. We're actually talking about what's happening in their school day rather than just getting kind of the single word answer at the end of the day. Um, I feel more connected. Um, we're spending more leisure time together. There's less technology involved. So, um, you know, this, this idea of actually sometimes us coming out of our normal routines, even when it's forced on us and it feels uncomfortable, gives us the opportunity to kind of take a, a step back and go, okay, well, what really wasn't working for me in that anyway, but it was just a habit. It was just the way that things had kind of evolved and I was stuck in that. And I think that there's been a lot of that in, with COVID, both in professional and personal lives around going, well, would we, would we choose to go back? To where it, how it was before or actually are we going to make some permanent changes coming from this yeah i, I can uh, relate to some of the things like for example uh, as a child my young boy is five now and when i was five i used to love um, going and watching dad split wood <laughs> and you know and so the other day we set up a open fire outside to sit around in the uh, uh, afternoon and uh, we got some firewood and I split it all and Zach uh, was just absolutely amused by wood splitting and flying all over the place. So just little things like that and like driving in the car yesterday, he goes, Daddy, bigger's not always better. And I said, oh, what are you, where did you hear that from? And I said, I just asked him, I probed him, he didn't have an example. I said, look, I'll, I'll explain that to you when we get home. So we made a, uh, a small paper plane and a big paper plane. And, you know, I said, yeah, bigger is not always better. And I had a joke and said, well, um, mummy's diamonds in her rings, you know, uh, bigger is not always better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do relate to that. So just taking this concept of anti-fragile into... Um, an organization is that something that you do and is there a, a market for that yeah absolutely so so the the book that I've just finished is becoming anti-fragile and that is aimed at the individual um, and particularly I have in mind leaders but um, as I write about in my book I use the term leadering because for me, we're all leaders. We're leaders in our own lives. We're leaders in our families. We're leaders in our friendship group. It's about, leadering is about how we choose to show up in the world and how we lead ourselves. 
and understanding the impact that we have as an individual, the ripples that come out from us, right? We, we're, we're inherently social creatures. We have things called mirror neurons in our brain, which mean that actually we start mirroring back what we see from people. Um, and that triggers a whole emotional response as well. So um, understanding that, you know, the, the system of one is, it doesn't, it, no man is an island, I think is where I'm getting to. Um, so we can't actually operate in isolation. So the first book is about um, understanding how as an individual you can be anti-fragile. Cause I feel until we've got those things in place, it's very challenging to try and go out and actually help others do that. Unless you have a lived experience and a kind of a, a reserve to draw on yourself. But then as we go out and think about anti-fragile teams and anti-fragile um, organizations, the principles that I've um, introduced in the book, which I, I've, um, short, I've called the robust principles, because there are six of them and each of them relate to R-O-B-U-S-T. We can then apply at the, at the team level, so kind of the small group level. And then as we think about organizations, we can start thinking about how do we create anti-fragile cultures? How is it that our processes and practices and systems at the organizational level can actually help people, nudge people towards an anti-fragile mindset, can help encourage anti-fragile attitudes? So, processes like performance review systems, processes like how do we reward people, processes like what are our symbols, what are our, um, what is it that are our rituals at an organization level, and how is it those things can reinforce us becoming anti-fragile. So yeah, whilst we, this book is about individuals, the next book is going to be teams, and then from there, kind of anti-fragile systems. Mm. And what uh, you spend a lot of time in leadership positions, what do you see is good uh, characteristics in becoming a good leader? What do I, so, okay, I think a healthy um, sense of humour is always going to help. I think um, that also a mindset of service, so letting go of ego. Ego is something that particularly as I'm coaching leaders and, senior, and mentoring senior leadership teams, ego often gets in the way of doing the real work of leadering and leadership uh, because e ego turns you in on yourself and, and um, keeps you in kind of a defensive and um, a defensive and, and me space, as in it's about me, rather than it being about we or us. And I believe that as leaders, our first reference point is to be comfortable in, comfortable enough in me to be able to let it go so that our focus can be on we and us. So um, I think a good sense of humor, um, a healthy ego, the ability to ask great questions. So I, um, one of the things, skills that I help leaders develop is this idea of how can I ask a question rather than give an answer? Uh, because inherent in that is this understanding that we all have leadership to offer. Um, and how is it that actually by asking a question rather than um, saving the situation, I'm helping people understand how to solve the situation themselves. And that develops leadership, it distributes leadership, it, it creates autonomy, um, it, it actually um, helps people feel committed, personally committed to the outcomes that they come to. So I think those three things would be my top, a good sense of humor, a healthy ego, and the ability to ask great questions. 
Mm, very good uh, answer. And, yeah, look, it's really interesting. Like the, the, the uh, uh, ego, I, I do a whole chapter in my book about understanding your ego because it's, it's like it uh, could be self-destructive. So self-awareness of your ego is really, really important. And around the questions, um, yeah, in Ray Dalio's book, Work-Life Principles, you know, I, I liked his leadership style where he just asked good questions to you know, highly credible people, um, which, you know, leadership, some people might say, um, you know, be strong with your decision and just go down the laneway, but, you know, you could become a dictator if that's, uh, if that's, if you don't ask the right questions. It's true. And, and, you know, that type of leadership, that kind of command and control type leadership, this is where our leadership, our traditional leadership models really aren't serving us anymore. That traditional style of command and control leadership is pretty much broken in our modern world. Um, and what it brings us to is compliance. Um, and that style of leadership, you know, it came from kind of military models where compliance is what is what's required. So it, it met the need. And it's not to say it's never relevant. But if you want long-term commitment and if you want sustainable and sustained energy from your people, then moving towards this kind of ask and inquire style of leadership, much more around coaching um, and what I call follow the energy, fan the flame. So by asking questions, you get to read where is the energy in my team or in my organization? What are, pe what are people excited about? What is the difference that they want to make in the world? What is the work that they want to do here? And how is it that I can follow that energy and fan the flames of it so that I'm removing obstacles, I'm enabling them to do that work. Now, that's not to say you throw the, the vision or the mission or the strategic plan out of the window. I'm not suggesting that by um, any stretch, but it is about um, introducing autonomy into how people do the, their work and where it's possible what work they do to achieve the strategic goals. So that moving away from as much command and control to more this invite and inquire and questions are a great way to do that. Mm. And, and around humour, do you think the humour component is really ability to break down the barriers between yourself and the organisation, build rapport with people? Um, what, is that what you say humour is about? So, so I think there, there are a couple of sides to humour. Um, so I think humour is important because sometimes life's shit and you just need to laugh at it, right? Mm. And that's the reality <laughs> of it. You know, there are times where if I didn't laugh, I would have cried. Um, in my in my leadership roles in my personal life and I think that just a healthy sense of humor means one you don't take yourself too seriously you don't take life too seriously and I think that to hold this whole kind of business lightly is is a good thing to model now that doesn't mean you don't do important work in a committed way but to be able to hold it lightly is I think um, a good thing to model as a leader and yes, humor is a great way to connect with people, um, you know, to, to use humor at particular points to break tension and to, to have the emotional intelligence to be able to do that. Um, there, there have been some critical times where there's no doubt that I'm quite a, a, a playful person where my ability to kind of read the room and just inject a comment that just just kind of diffuses the tension a bit has really helped create some space for us to be able to move forward. So for all of those things, I think that, that humour is, is something that um, 
is very valuable for leaders to have, yeah. Mm. And we'll just change our conversation a little bit. You shared a story with me and you, you mentioned it a bit in your um, uh, your intro where you said you've been challenged um, many times and you shared a story with me when you moved out to Australia and you um, didn't even know uh, how to contact someone in an emergency. Would you be able to share that? You know, like that, that was a pretty big challenge. So... Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm happy, happy to do that. So um, I think, as I mentioned, um, I'm originally from the UK, um, but my husband is Australian. So we met as uh, we were both working in Europe uh, for the um, holiday company, the tour operator. Um, and <clears throat> early, no, in kind of September 2003, we came over here, we were married, and we came over here with a view to starting a family. Um, and I remember clearly saying, look, if we're moving halfway around the world, I don't want to live somewhere where it rains because it rains in England and I can live yeah. here. So let's go find somewhere sunny. So we were traveling up the East coast in a camper van and we got to um, Ely beach and we were about to go out on a yacht for a couple of days because we decided that we're actually going to come and settle in Torquay in Victoria. Cause that's where my husband had grown up and loved surfing. So um, we were about to go out on the boat and we were getting provisions for the boat and um, Darren started to feel unwell. He started to feel a bit dizzy. Um, and so I kind of didn't take too much notice of it. I thought maybe he was just a bit dehydrated, but over the course of about five or 10 minutes um, <clears throat> became clear that there was something more going on. So we went and got him some, um, got him a drink. And then as we came out of the cafe that he still wasn't, was feeling uncomfortable. And as he stood up and started walking, the whole left side of his body was not working properly. So uh, we walked down the street and uh, I saw a sign to a doctor's surgery and I sat down on, the, on a bench and, and walked into the surgery and said, can someone please help me? Uh, my husband's having a stroke. Um, and I didn't really know how I knew that, but it was, it was turned out to be the case. And so we'd been in Australia six weeks at that point. So someone came and helped me get Darren into the surgery. And we went through all kinds of neurological kind of tests with the doctor. And then the doctor said to me, so um, have you got ambulance cover? <laughs> and I looked at him blankly and kind of went, what's ambulance cover? In the UK, you just dial 999 and an ambulance shows up. So I was that green, you know, I didn't even know what ambulance cover was. I don't think I'd have even known what number to call, to be honest. So over the next, however many months, we ended up coming back to Melbourne and Darren was found to have a tumour on his brain. And um, we went through the, the whole operation um, and, um, and he's well and came out of that well. Um, but that, that for me was... You know, that was my first kind of six, eight weeks. And as we drove down from Queensland back to Melbourne for Darren to have the operation, we, we drove through bushfires. I can remember coming through the highway as we were kind of north of Sydney and they literally closed the highway in front of us because the bushfires were crossing the highway in front of us. And I can remember sitting there thinking, did I really travel halfway around the world for this? I've got fires, I've got critical emergencies with my husband's health, we've only been married for three months, oh my god, what is going on, is this really what Australia is going to be like? Um, but as I say, you know, um, when, I, when I came across Anti-Fragile and as I, as I wrote the book and reflected on my personal journey, you know, that was the beginning of, of many ups and downs um, over, the, over the next kind of 15, 20 years. Um, with Darren's health and with other aspects as well of, of uh, our family life together. 
Um, mm. But I look back and, and now I know that it's made me a better person. I, I know that I've come out of that um, wiser, kinder, more vulnerable, uh, mm. may, more able to ask for help mm. um, and, and more willing to, to um, not have to feel that I need to do it on my own. And that actually I'm always, always going to be stronger and better um, if I invite people on my journey with me. Um, mm. And it took me a while to, to learn that. Um, I, in no doubt, I put my superwoman cape on for a while um, and tried to do it all on my own with two young kids. And um, Darren's health continued to ebb and flow. Um, and that nearly broke me. Um, and yeah, and there, there are important lessons to learn from um going through that and seeing what better looks like on the other mm. side yeah and the reason i asked that question you know it sort of correlates into your story of the anti-fragile um concept but you know i always say to people uh challenges are a guarantee in life it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when and how often you get challenged and it'll come in all shapes and sizes and you know you've just got to keep on you know um, growing and evolving out of each one and as you said you become a better person from going through a lot of them along your journey it's so true and and i think the thing the difference if i look back on challenges now compared to the way i engage with challenges then is i i'm able to not exactly sit outside the challenge but as i'm in it and struggling with it i am at the same time able to go okay i'm struggling with this now so what's the learning that's going to come from this? Because if, if I wasn't struggling, I wouldn't be learning. Um, and so the, 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 the time that it takes for me to move through the struggle, to move to constructive action, to come out the other side and go, okay, that was the learning I needed to take from that is shorter. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's the, where I think about how is it, how is how have I got better? If you like, it's it's kind of clumsy language, but it, it gets across what we mean. That's how I've got better. I'm able to sit in the struggle and and feel it, but at the same time hold this sort of okay. What's the learning I need to get from this? Because this is happening for a reason. Um, because if I knew how to do this well, I wouldn't be struggling with it. So there's learning to be had in this. Um, so I think that's um, if I kind of do a big helicopter view back to then and now. That's, that's one of the key differences, I would say, that I can recognise in myself. Mm, well said. And uh, at the end of every episode, I always like to ask a few rapid-fire questions. They never have rapid-fire answers, but um, they're, yeah. So do you have a, a book that somebody uh, should read if they're looking to grow and learn and evolve outside of your own book? Yeah, sure. Oh, so many great books. Um, it could be a few. It could be yeah, a few. Yeah, it could be a few. So um, what have I loved? So I'm loving... Um, uh, a book called Letting Go by David Hawkins, uh, which is about um, understanding how emotions can kind of, emotional experiences can kind of stick with you. Um, but actually, if we let go of them, uh, it helps us move through them and kind of sets us free. Um, I also really enjoyed Untamed by Glennon Doyle. That's more of a, your female leaders will, um, your female listeners will enjoy that one. Um, that's one I've read this year. Um, and uh, what other one have I got over there? Oh, I, I really enjoy um, Turning Pro. Uh, that's a, 
a book about how do you adopt a pro mindset. Um, that's by Stephen Pressfield. So that's a, I really enjoyed that one as well, Turning Pro. Mm, very good. I haven't actually read. It's usually I've read them or heard them or know about them. I haven't uh, been through any of those three, so I have to check them out myself. What's the best bit of advice you've ever received? Wow. Oh, don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, cool. definitely. And on the other side of the coin, the worst bit of advice or the worst you know, thing you could follow? Never listen to others. Mm. But also don't always listen to others. So it's not black and white, but to think that you can do this on your own is a fool's game. Yeah. And what about we mentioned a bit about travel. Uh, what are the three best destinations you've been to and why? Okay. So um, three best destinations I've been to and why. So one is um, Kenya. I went on honeymoon to Kenya. We did a safari there and that was just amazing. Like so different, you know, big open skies and culturally so different and, um, you know, took just challenging in terms of comfort zone and that kind of thing. So that was amazing. Loved that. Somewhere closer to home, um, the Otway Forest in um, just down, <clears throat> excuse me, down the coast in Victoria. Beautiful, amazing, old, old trees. Um, amazing to walk through beautiful waterfalls, a real kind of um, energy replenishment place. So I love that as well. And then I think it would be um, Corsica from my um, time managing hotels uh, in Europe. It's, um, it's not a well-known des destination. It's an island uh, between um, kind of off the coast of France near and near Italy. Um, and just very fond memories of that because I um, had such great times there, but also great surf, um, beautiful beaches, um, lovely food and um, an interesting culture in that um, it's kind of got the brusqueness of France, but very, we're not France. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I have very warm memories of Corsica too. I'll definitely put that one on the list. Um, what about your next three to five years? What do you see yourself doing? Okay, three to five years. So um, at least another two books for sure. Um, I would, I, so I have this thing. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I can say this out loud, actually. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to become what in my mind I'm calling the CEO whisperer. So I want to help create anti-fragile organizations because there's a CEO at the top or a senior leadership team that gets it. And so they're intentional about creating systems and organizations that almost can't help but, but have their teams and people be anti-fragile. So it's kind of anti-fragile by stealth because I really believe that if you've got a leadership group, a senior leadership group that gets it themselves personally, they will start to embed it in the way that they run and organize the business because it's in their lifeblood, because they almost can't help it. Um, and that's, that's the way it kind of seeps through an organization almost without anyone noticing. Um, rather than trying to do it from kind of pushing in training programs and, you know, mm. trying to change, do transformation, transformational change projects. Mm. So 
that would be my my dream is that I'm kind of the the senior leadership CEO whisperer that is kind of infusing anti-fragility across organizations and and we know that spreads into homes and et cetera, et cetera. So um, yes. And then and then on the other side of that, that's my whispering bit on lots of really big keynote stages, you know, spreading the word and getting it out and into as many individual lives as possible as well. So kind of two sides of the same coin. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, and where do people find you? And you did uh, give me a resource to go through myself, which was a survey. Uh, so feel free to mention that as well. Great. So if um, you want to read more about my work, um, that would be my website, which is drpagewilliams.com. Um, and then, yes, there's a free survey and it's called the Anti-Fragile Survey um, and it takes around 10 minutes to complete um, and you'll get a personalised report which will give you an indication of where you are on fragile, robust and anti-fragile. Um, it'll give you an insight into which of the robust principles you're using the most and the least and how you're going in terms of your anti-fragile energy attitudes and mindset. Um, and so you can complete the survey at www.theantifragilesurvey.com. Cool. And from me, I want to thank you for coming onto the show. A very joyful conversation. And I really did the first time we spoke on the phone. I really connected with you. So I want to thank you for uh, jumping on. Oh, that's been a joy. Thank you, Craig. What a great conversation to have this morning. Well, I hope you got as much value out of that episode as I did. It was fantastic chatting with Dr. Paige Williams. If you did like the episode, make sure that you share it with a contact, uh, give us a review, uh, share it on your social media, give us a shout out, as it's really important to get high quality guests on the show. If you haven't got a copy of my book, you've got one shot, make sure you head across to craigschultz.com and get your copy. Um, also check out some of the blogs that we're doing on the side at the moment. So I'm providing a lot of high quality uh, content for people to get massive value out of. So just make sure you tour around craigschultz.com. As I say at the end of every episode, you've got one shot at life. Go out there and give it your best shot, whatever it is for you. Live life with passion and purpose. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.